Welcome to E2T Adventures. Explore, experience, thrive, be adventure. Where we're celebrating all women in the outdoors as we change the gear industry to fit all women's needs. Hi, I'm Marcy Nault, and this is E2T Adventures, where we talk about women going after their dreams, breaking past their fear, living outside the norm, and the gear that we actually need to do all these things, and also the emotional support, and just the information that we need to break past our own limitations. And I invited Colleen Minuik? How do we Minnick, say Minuik, yep. Minuik. Okay. <laughs> It's a really cool spelling. I love it. Um, it's, I didn't pick it. <laughs> I love it. I didn't have any control over it. If I did, I would have dropped the U. It would have made more sense. But, you know, we don't control these things. Exactly. <laughs> Colleen is a full-time outdoor photographer, writer, publisher, speaker, and instructor. She spends over 100 days a year hiking, camping in her Alaskan camper, and stand-up paddleboarding or rowing down a river which is a very unexpected course for a woman who spent 40 years checking all the boxes of the American dream and had a fear of swimming in water where she couldn't see her feet. And now you've completed a 51 miles solo stand-up paddleboard experience. Like how, first of all, let's just start with. <laughs> it's like there's okay. so much I want to talk to you about, but let's just start with who decides to go out and do 51 miles solo on a stand-up paddleboard? Why did you do that? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> uh, well, first, thank you so much for having me on this show. I'm so grateful. Uh, the second, the second uh, comment is, is why not? Um, <laughs> why not? Um, stand-up paddleboarding for me, and it's kind of a long story. There's sort of an evolution there, but stand-up paddleboarding is one of my absolute favorite things in the whole world. And I have gotten to the point, I went through a separation, I went through an unexpected divorce, and I'm trying to sort of find my, find my feet, if you will. I'm trying to find my flow on my river of life here. And I've gotten to the point where I just don't want to wait anymore for people. And we were in a COVID situation where going with a group was really not a smart, safe idea. And um, Really, it, it just came down to why not. Um, I've I've done a lot of training on stand-up paddleboarding, so it was not something. It was not like a spur of the moment kind of thing. I've had some background in whitewater, flatwater, and so I just felt prepared. Um, I felt ready to do something like that. And and when I was out there, I did have a moment where I was. It was on. I think it was the second, the third day. It was the third day where I was just. I was coming around this place called the Loop. And it was almost overwhelming. It was one of those moments where you have like awe, like pride and terror. Like I am completely alone. And to, to feel that independent, I mean, I think that was like the, the purest form of freedom I have ever tasted. And so anyway, I love that. why not? Why not? <laughs> All right. So we're going to go back to so many things that you said, but let's talk about the why okay. not and the fact that you talk about walking out of corporate America on February 28th, 2007, and you consider this your Independence Day and you celebrate it like a birthday. So you, you just talked about like that life events kind of change where you're at and things that unexpectedly come up that move you forward in life in a different way and trying to find that flow. What brought you to leave corporate America? 
Yeah, so, I mean, growing up, I had, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, like a lot of people. And when um, I was in school, I did a lot of athletics. I, I played volleyball. Um, I was into academics. And so um, I, I kind of followed what I thought was the right thing to do, what was socially acceptable, um, what was expected of me, and what, what I felt, um, which was both just my own personal my own personality, but also sort of my environment is I thought perfection um, was required and I thought that it would lead to success and it would lead to happiness, like in that order, like perfection drove success and success drove um, happiness. And if I didn't do those things in the right order, like I would never find happiness. And so, you know, with volleyball, it was a lot of hours. I just kind of, it was work, work, work. And, and I, I loved it. Like that's, I, I, I loved it in a way that I thought it was going to be a means to an end. And so I went to Stanford University for a year on a volleyball scholarship and transferred to the University of Michigan Ann Arbor, where I was also playing volleyball, but I was also studying business administration, um, computer information systems, right at the height of the tech boom. And I don't know that I really had any sort of passion to do anything other than to just make a lot of money. Like to do, like to make a lot of money, to get married, to have the two kids, the white picket fence, the big house, the, the Mercedes Benz. And so um, I had all of that except for the two kids. Uh, I had a cat, which I feel like counts for a little bit more than that. Absolutely. But, Very <laughs> demanding. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, oh, amazing. Okay, so when I left Michigan and graduated with my business degree in computer information systems, like that for me was like, I'm here. Like I got my Mercedes, I got my three-car garage house, and I got the good job. And I, it like, it just every year it was just like, where, where's the happiness part of this? Like, so I, I, I did the perfection. I got that down, yay. And then like I'm, I'm by any definition successful. Like this is what success looks like. And I'm here, and I'm miserable. I was having health problems um, with my back. I was having um, unexplainable health problems with my back for 10 years. And I had doctor after doctor after doctor be like, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't actually know what's wrong with you. Like what physically is going on is not matching what you're feeling and what you're describing. And it was like, no, I'm, I'm dying here. Like I can't stand up. And then I ended up with a hiatal hernia and all of this, it was just all so stressful. So in 2001, my mom handed me a brochure to the Chandler Gilbert Community College. It was for an intro to photography class. And she said, Colleen, you need to get a life. And so um, I was like, mom, be careful what you asked for. <laughs> now this all happened. So yeah, so I like, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about photography. So I just took this class like on a whim and I knew like on the first day it was going to be so profound in my life like it was such a major deal that it, I actually have the outfit I wore to that first class still in my closet like that's that's how meaningful it was to me and then it just became one of these things where one thing leads to another you know I got my first publication in 2003 or 2006 I was selling my work in 2003 at art shows I was doing really well and then by 2006 right around 2005 2006 my husband and I were like I don't like I've got two full-time jobs I love the photography I can make this work. We can make this work. And so um, it, 
It took two years for me to build up the confidence, the financial stability, like making sure that I had all of my, my ducks in a row. And um, I have never been happier to walk out of something in my whole life. Like I just have, like it's, it's, it was everything that you can imagine. Like when the door opens, like the sun is shining, like the bunnies are hopping, the, you know, group, everybody's skipping. Like it was like literally going from my own personal like death to like life it was that that big of a deal so yeah independence day i just celebrated my 14th if i if i do my math right 14th independence day and uh, it's it's a big deal yeah i know that there are so many women that are going to listen to this that are going to be like you know how do i leave the security how do i leave for something you know and there is i remember <clears throat> 12 years old and I was in the advanced placement program and in school and I remember the teacher telling me what my like my life plan was and I remember thinking well do I have a choice in this like and everybody had a life plan for me and um, it blew it up like I just never lived by anyone's norms but at the same time there's always this feeling of I say that I jump off cliffs with two sticks and try to make the wings on the way down and I think as <laughs> Um, most of the time I, I, I figure it out and it's just been like a wing and a prayer. And since I've taken up whitewater kayaking, um, you know, there's this joke that, you know, someone will say they're going to lead me down this like nice, do you want to do the easy line? It's like, yes. And then I'm like following them. I'm like, Ooh, there's some junk. And I go flying over to it. Now I might not have skill, but like, then they go fly and do the junk and it's gotten me in some predicaments. And so I've been trying to be like, okay, I'm this outdoor adventurous. I travel solo all over the world. I've like done all these things, you know, and starting a company and we were talking, I'm like, I think I know what women need. So I'm willing to do this, but do I know what I'm doing? Oh, two sticks, cliff, jump, wave the wings, you know? But the thing is, is I think a lot of people think about outdoor adventure in that way. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I've come to realize in like always going for the junk, always going for something that scares me, is that you can come from a place of security and that's having the skills you need before you do something really big the like you said you got your ducks in a row and it took you a couple of years before you left the job to know that you were doing it from a secure place and this is like something i really need to learn is that you don't always if you're afraid of something like you talk about you had of being terrified of swimming and you went and did a so a couple of solo trips on a sup first of all just learning stand-up paddle boarding and it's like women don't have to think or no one has to think oh there's that big jump i want to take there's all these baby steps that you can do it from a place right. of security and then yes you're going to take that thing that challenges you. So talk to me a little bit about how you overcame your fear to do stand up paddling and to build those skills. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of metaphorical association between being terrified of water and being terrified of change in, in our lives. Um, you know, trying to, to have confidence in uncertainty and on the in the unknown um that's no small task i mean so to to like make a jump for example to intel into a freelance 
you know, photography and writing profession. That's, I mean, that's the same as like going, like stand up paddleboarding down a river. Like it's the same thing. You're, it's very unknown. It's undefined. And yeah, I love the thing, the, the idea of the sticks and the wings. We're all making this up. Like, and anybody who tells you they're not like is lying. Like we're all just, nobody has a life plan. Nobody has all the answers. I think that's part of the beauty of life is that we just continually learn and seek the answers to questions. We never run out of questions. So yeah, so going back to the, the fear of water, um, I grew up, I was born in Ohio, but I grew up in Arkansas and we had a little creek in the backyard and that was, we had, you know, forests and trees and it was just such a beautiful outdoor environment. I'd play in the creek with my brother, we'd play with frogs. I mean, like it was a thing. And as we moved, we moved to the Chicago area in Illinois, the forest and outdoorsy kind of became kind of something out there. That's like where the scary people were. Like you'd hear it on the news, like that's where the scary things happened is out there in the wild. And so I didn't really spend a whole lot of time actually outside um, other than like vacations. I ended up sleeping in a tent in 1997 for the first time in Joshua Tree. And all I did was like, what was that? what was that? Like all night, it was like, like Charles Manson is going to come out and kill me. I know it. We're like 15 miles from anywhere, but certainly they followed us, right? <laughs> um, the stand-up paddleboarding. Press and movies and media. Oh, yeah. Still these feel fears in us. <laughs> really not a great thing for the child psyche. Like, I don't think like Freddy Krueger was a good idea. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't really reconnect with water. I had um, um, a friend, a college friend come in. We, at the time we were living in Oregon temporarily, a friend came in from uh, overseas and recommended that we do this thing called stand up paddleboarding. And I had really never, I'd never heard of it, quite honestly, like at all. I think that was 13. And I don't know what, like the minute I stood up on the board, it was like all of the scary monsters are below me. And if I don't see them, they don't exist. And so I was standing on top of fear. I wasn't in fear. Like there was a very big difference between me putting my foot over the edge of the board and me like being on top of the board. And so my fear really was like, when anytime my family went on like snorkeling trips or went to the beach, like I would never get in the water. I, if we went snorkeling, I would actually hyperventilate. Like this is how bad it was. Like I would like, you know, swallow water and I'd have to come out. So like being around water was never enjoyable at all. I was a competitive swimmer, but like not in like scary places where I couldn't see my feet. So when I paddle boarded, it was like, oh no, I'm Look at, look at, like, look at me. Here's my little, like, my, my first step, right? Look at me. I can be on top of everything on my fear. Um, so I had started doing some stand-up paddleboarding here and there around the West, just real casually, just, like, for fun and, you know, an afternoon here and there. And right um, in 2015, you know, four weeks before my 40th birthday, two weeks before my 14th wedding anniversary, my husband and I decided to separate, which was um, after following a year of just, just quite honestly, just trauma. Anyone who's been through it understands it. And so for me, it was just totally tragic. It was 
So on my 40th birthday, I was supposed to be somewhere exotic with my husband, which obviously didn't pan out. Um, and so I ended up teaching at the Moab Photo Symposium and I was in Moab, Utah. And I was like, okay, well, what am I, what am I going to do to celebrate my 40th birthday? Like nobody's here going to help me. Nobody's celebrating it for me. So what am I going to do? And I just kind of went through the website and stand up paddleboarding with a guide came up. And so I called them. Um, and I said, I would like to book a private session. And they were like, well, you need two people. And I was like, okay, well, I'm by myself. Um, so that moment in time. Right. <laughs> and so I said, well, um, can I book two spots? I'll pay you for both. And my friend, my friend won't show up. Like, I, I mean, however you want it to work. I just want to paddle tomorrow on my birthday. And, uh, I paid double. Uh, to stand up paddleboard on my birthday. And when I got to the put-in, my guides started talking about what to do when you came to rapids. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, you can you can stand up paddleboard through rapids? Like, that's a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't see any rapids on the way in. Like, I don't know, like, no, 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 no. And it was like, well, I've made double. The guy just left. I'm alone on the river, Colorado River. And she taught me, like it was like following Mama Duck. Like I just kind of followed her through the rapids and the class ones. We got to a class two and she goes, you lead. And I was like, I don't know, that's a good idea. And so she goes, no, no, you can do it. Like, what's the worst thing you could happen? And I was like, well, the worst thing that could happen is I could fall in monsters eat me and die on my 40th birthday. Like this is the worst thing ever. And so I did, I went first and I fell in. And for the first time, um, I just coached myself through it because I was essentially alone and it was like, nobody's coming, nobody's coming to help you. And so I didn't hyperventilate for the first time in my life. And it was one of the most profound moments and like on my 40th birthday. And that's when I decided that I was going to try to stand up uh, paddleboard across Lake Powell and put, put me on a very, very different path in life. <laughs> well, you really use your fear, use the tough experiences to be like, how can this open up my life instead of how can I shy away from this? And that's not an easy feat whatsoever. Um, I think for many people, um, like in the whitewater community, and, you know, this, this podcast is for every outdoor adventure, whether you're just hiking up a hill or if you're a whitewater kayaker or an extreme sports person. But oftentimes when you get into like doing things that terrify you or like going on a hike and you get stuck in weather or, you know, in whitewater kayaking, you get stuck in a hole and then it shakes you. Mm -hmm. And it shakes you so deeply and there's this trauma that happens and you want to keep going and yet the story keeps playing over and over. So for you in that moment, it could have been, I can't save myself. I'm all alone in this world. My husband and I aren't going to be together anymore and life just sucks. But instead, and I just fell in and I knew I was going to fall in and look at, I, I know that I'm just going to fail from here on out. That's this one story you could have told yourself. And instead, especially because after 40 years, I had never failed. Like, honestly, I had never failed. I was the perfect student. I, I, I mean, I 
got a scholarship to Stanford for crap's sake, right? Like I had never experienced failure and that, you know, to fail with my marriage was one thing, but then to, to fail, I'm going to use, it's not really failing. I've learned that. I've learned that it's not failing. And then ultimately I failed in like Powell as well. So eight months later, I planned this whole thing and that didn't go to according to plan. And I think part of, part of, plowing through fear is not being a victim, like not staying a victim in your own circumstances. And that is one thing that I feel like from a perfectionist perspective, I am good at. Like that's something I've done my whole life is that I have never been a victim. And so I wasn't going to let my husband, you know, making his choices affect me. And I wasn't going to let falling in the water, you know, for example, affect me anymore. Like the fear in our head is so irrational. And if you are mindful about the things that you're telling yourself in your own head, like there were so many things going on in my own head. My, my own voices were my absolute worst bully. And so instead of in that moment when I fell out or fell off the paddleboard, I wasn't a bully. I was a coach. And that is much more in line with who I am as an individual, as a human being. I'm not the person in my head. I'm not that. And so recognizing that, just simply being mindful of it, it, I think is really an important part of getting past it, past that fear. And recently I've been studying this quite a bit and um, I was talking to someone about um, cognitive behavior therapy and PTSD. And it was like, um, because I've been going through PTSD from an occurrence on the river and when you have trauma, a divorce, um, loss of a job, uh, something, you get thrashed, a car accident. Uh, any major life change, any anything that, change, yeah. and we're all suffering. We all are. We all have it. It's all happening. Your brain actually like changes and creates a different neural pathway that you start believing a different core belief. Yep. And so with cognitive behavior therapy instead of listening to that story up here you recognize the story and then say give three things of proof that the story is not real and you're like whoa hold it <laughs> right like, i was like i'm broken i'm broken because i have this anxiety from having nearly died in a river and i'm a failure and and she's like okay give me three instances and suddenly like what you're saying I was my coach and I told myself the three things that like, wow, I'm, I'm not broken. I'm not this, but it's crazy how our brains like to play with us and just keep us safe. And it's like the brain is wired for safety. Yep. And the spirit is like, whoever created us really like, uh, what were you thinking here? <laughs> And the funny thing is, is I don't understand like what the brain is trying to do when we tell ourselves all these negative stories. Like how safe is that? Like, is it really? I don't know. Like, it's certainly not helpful. It's like leads to misery. Um, yeah. It, you know, part of, part of what I recognized in, in my recovery after the, the Lake Powell disappointment um, where I was supposed to finish crossing Lake Powell and we got blown, my mom and I got blown off the water in four days after a windstorm. Um, long story. It's part of my memoir. But anyway, so, 
um, part of it is that if, if my brain was making up bad stuff or negative stuff and, and was that bully, then I was also capable of making up good stuff. Like, I, if I can make up one, I can certainly make up the other, which sort of is where you're going with that in a little bit more formal way. It was like, no, I, I'm, I'm actually grateful for these three things. I'm grateful for the things that I have, not for what I lack, you know, and, and I do lack a lot. I mean, I, you know, I'm not perfect but there is an immense amount of things that I can be grateful for. And there are immense amount of things that we do well. And to recognize those first and to bring those into the forefront of our heads, I don't know that that's something I haven't, I haven't met many women quite honestly that can do that naturally without a lot of work. Um, I, I don't know if that's how we're wired or how we've, you know, society is, has directed us, but it's, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's work. Like for me, even, you know, six years later, it's still a choice that I have to make every single day. It's like catching myself being like, no, 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 no. Like you did the best you could like come back to it. <laughs> like, yeah, you great. Talk, yeah, you talk about being a perfectionist, and I think that type A personality, which a lot of people that go out to the woods are, and for the people who aren't, they're like, do I belong here, which you do, um, but the perfectionism is another voice in the head that is constantly saying to you, you're not good enough, you've got to be better, you've got to be better, you've got to be better, and more, more, always more, more, right? and you know, it's like, you and I were talking before we started the podcast about um, REI's hashtag for women of be a force of nature and how right. I became at that because I've got to be a force in the boardroom. I'm supposed to lean in. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be that. I've got a million hashtags I got to live up to. When I go to the woods, it's the one place I just get to be. And now you're <laughs> the female gear industry by telling us to be a force in nature. You could be a force in nature too. Yeah. And I'm like, it is enough. It is enough that we just exist. Exactly. Like, like it just, it just is like, we don't have to do anything. You know, we really don't like you don't have to go out. Okay. So if you decide that you're going to go and do a 51 mile stand up paddleboard on your own and you have the skills and you're coming from a place of safety and this is something you want to do it's like go and do it but it's okay if you don't finish it it's okay if bad things happen <laughs> on it i had to learn that yes <laughs> yeah, exactly um you know and so people like start on the appalachian trail and they're like we're going to go from georgia to katahdin and we're going to do it in this amount of time and then most people give up at like i think like 20 or 30% give up at the giving up tree 36 miles in and they just feel like, Oh, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I couldn't get past this mount. So now I'm done because there's like this goal orientation. Right. And when you come to things as a, it's okay to be afraid. Like yep. Straight up fear. It is. You should be afraid of some things you should. There are things you should be afraid of. Exactly. Coming from a place of security and not always throwing yourself off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly also okay. big holes and rivers you should be afraid of big holes and rivers you right. should be afraid of strainers yes there are things that you should be afraid of <laughs> absolutely absolutely and you know and it's it's okay to let go of the perfection it's okay that you're you're not a failure any day that you right. wake up and you decide to live life in a way that makes you happy and joyful okay 
So we think, like you said, in society, like what you're talking about of, you know, the Mercedes and the big paycheck and the picket fence and the two kids and the, you know, all that. And, and that can be perfection for someone. For me, what it was, it was the American dream, baby. It was, that was it. And you can also be a dirtbagger and live out of the back of your car and that can be your perfection. But choosing like something that's wrong for you or living in something that you chose that was right and is no longer right for you. Right. It's like, like what you say, you, you celebrate that independence day and that freedom. But if you ever decided, I want to go back to Intel, that wouldn't be a failure either. No. But we decide to put ourselves in these boxes, like, okay, I'm not a through hiker, or I'm too big for hiking, or I'm not- it's the voices again. It's yeah, the voices. the voices, exactly. And it's like, so whether you're dealing with like, like you said, a trauma, or just the trauma from your own head, like, how do we overcome that trauma in your own head? And I love that you were like, you become the coach. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. Not the bully. Not the bully. So it's like, I love that because you get to choose. And that's the thing. You get to choose. Are you going to be a coach to yourself? Or are you going to be a bully to yourself? And, and coaches don't let you off the hook, right? I mean, coaches, I, I've, had, I've had amazing coaches. Um, my coaches have, have pushed me. They have believed in my abilities more than I believed in myself. Like there's a, you know, the coaches aren't going to let you off the hook easy. It's not like you're going to like all of a sudden, because you're nice to yourself, you're going to like end up being a bum, you know, drinking on, on a beach for the rest of your life. Although if that's meaningful to you and you can pull it off, good for you. Um, but like trying to, trying to figure out what is meaningful to you. And I use the word meaningful as opposed to like happy, like happy, I feel like is this like elusive thing that we're all like supposed to go pursue. Um, it's, it's more about what's meaningful to you. What gives you purpose? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And, and yeah, I guess that is happiness and joy, but for me, it's also meaning, um, you know, life isn't going to be happy every single day. Like, and to think that you're going to be a Pollyanna every single day of every, you know, every hour and every second, like it's not, you're going to fight. You're going to have, you're going to have hardship. You're going to face challenges. And if you're not facing challenges, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. And that, that has an element of fear in it. But if you can coach yourself through it, if you can train yourself, if you can say, okay, you know, this is my fear. And these are the three things that I need to get over that. Like it is a fear. I see it. And, and that's one thing is just recognizing that you have fear is I see you, I see it, you exist and recognize and appreciate it respect it like there's a reason why you fear it and then just be like okay if I did you know if I took a training class in swift water like would that make me feel better in water yes it does getting in a dry suit and putting myself in a river and trying to swim a rapid absolutely makes me feel more comfortable with water step one right step two okay like you know <laughs> like so it's it's just being really for me it's being analytical about it which uses sort of my over analytical tendencies anyway but being analytical about it being mindful of it just recognizing it can open the door i think to a lot more opportunity at least if you see it you know it you can plow through it so i love that i i love seeing the three things that you need like you know people are afraid to go and do something for the first time and it's like okay you find the knowledge 
and what are the three things that you need? So then it's not super overwhelming. And, right. you know, everybody looks at YouTube these days and they look at Instagram and there's this filter on life. And I remember, like, I wanted to learn how to figure skate as an adult. And all I could see was what was on the Olympics, right? So they're doing triples and quads. And I'm like, how do you ever get there? And then you go for the first time, you put your skates on, you hug the boards, and they tell you to fall for the first time. So you start with falling, you know? And then the first jump you do is this little hop, hop. <laughs> you know, That's so exciting. Yay. Yeah, and there's singles. There are singles. So whitewater kayaking, like you said, like stand up paddle boarding, you start slow. And so, but people see the big and they're like, oh, that's the goal. And like, it's not, it's the moment that you right. first get on a board and you realize you're above the monsters. Right. And it's the first time you go through a rapid and, oh, you swim and you <laughs> yourself. You and know. you live. <laughs> exactly. And you live and, um, we were taught, you said something earlier about why do women's voices do this to them so much more? And for a lot of women, they get into sports, outdoor adventures through men. It's, it's quite often what happens. I think more and more women are doing it together. And there's a bigger community of women as we go about changing the gear industry and we go about changing the idea of what women are in the outdoors that we need to get rid of forever. But it's hard when you're around men all the time and because their brains are wired differently than ours. And this is just scientific fact. And some women are more wired like men and some men are more wired like women. But like uh, I was learning from a dementia specialist and she was saying that the frontal lobe in a woman, the thinking part, the protective part the part that filters everything and a woman develops between the ages of 16 and 22. So we actually have more reasoning and hmm. for men it's between the ages of 26 and 32 if it ever fully develops. Oh interesting. <laughs> I'm not putting men down here so think about this from mm. Mm. woolly mammoth times okay like <laughs> the lizard brain time yeah. Yes, exactly. Women had to constantly think about providing, gathering, children, mm. protection, nurturing, nurturing, everything had to be about protecting. Mm. For men, if they were doing that, and they had to think before the woolly mammoth. Sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> survival. It's survival. And so they don't think, they react, they get mm. more oomph off of that beating of the chest where we get more oomph from collective, I'm here with you. Yeah. And so when we get mad at ourselves for beating us up, ourselves up, like what you brought up, <laughs> like realize, okay, so this is maybe my lizard brain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's helpful and it's okay. Like, yeah. so like what you're saying, like you can be the coach, where you can live in the fear and like, you know, like the, the nagging yuckiness and be like, oh, hold it. I might be trained to think that way. Right. And now I can switch it. It's not my reality. Yep. And it sounds like that's how you took almost your entire life and kind of built it into what you wanted. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. what do you have to say to so many women listening that maybe have dealt with fear, maybe have dealt with trauma, maybe you're like, I want to do this. Yeah. There's all, you know, this tightness and I don't feel right. like and there's fear. And I, I'd even add, there's even another category where people know that they're unhappy or know that they like are uncomfortable and don't know what the next step is. They don't want to take action so that they know that they're miserable. But I, there's a lot of people in corporate space that know they are miserable, but have nothing else to do or like they don't know where to go. And so my advice for, for all of those is, is to just try. Find something that gets you um, that you're curious about, that that maybe is interesting. You want to learn more. I think curiosity is a really good skill to have, a really good approach in life. Um, I love your story about figure skating. I was curious about taking adult ballet classes. I, you know, I took dance. I was a gymnast growing up, but I never got to dance in point. And like, you know, at 40 years old, it's like, you know, I think I want to take ballet and you can see those are my first point shoes. I, but that took four years, right. Of just like kind of being like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder in just like Googling, I wonder, right. I wonder what if all curiosity questions, I wonder if adult ballet classes exist. I don't want to be taking ballet next to 12 year olds doing recitals. I want to learn about ballet in the same way you want to learn about figure skating, or maybe you want to learn about kayaking. It's like, okay, well, just be curious, be curious and try things. If they're fun, keep doing them. If they're not fun, stop and do something else. And I feel like that's really how I ended up like leaving Intel, it was like, I knew I was unhappy, but it was like, okay, let me try this. Nope, that's not it. Let me try this. Nope, that's not it. Let me try photography. Oh, this is definitely it. And I've gone through some iterations, even in photography with it. Um, You know, I started, I I started with landscape photography. And when I got out of Intel, I'd gotten the feedback that I would never make it as a landscape photographer because the opportunities had changed. Um, You know, the industry had changed so much. And second, I was female and would have to travel alone a lot. It was like, huh, that's kind of a perk. (laughs) like that's a that's a positive not okay well anyway so I focused on everything but landscape photography I did everything else and every time I did it it was like hmm don't like to photograph jewelry nope don't like to photograph soccer either don't really love architecture don't really love senior portraits definitely not doing weddings ever again like like so it just became one of these where it was like it's like, it's like having this big experiment in your life, like using your life as this experiment of like, just tasting, like, do you like this or do you not? And as soon as you don't like it, just stop and do like, go find, there's a million other things you can do. Like, and so I, I feel like that's what's happening with stand up paddleboarding. It was like, well, I love water so much. Like, I want to see what it's like to row an oar boat. Like, what is that? Like, what does that entail? And oh boy, it's different than a stand up paddleboard. It's like driving a bus. But so I don't have any... I, and this is funny coming from an overachiever, a 40 year overachiever, like perfectionist. Like I now don't have any, any delusions of grandeur or any interest really of achieving like anything. Like I'm not going to be a prima ballerina. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be the best rower in the whole world. Do I love it? Yes. It is so much fun. It fulfills me. It gives life. It gives my life meaning. It gives me purpose. I get to help people with the things that I do. That's what I want to do with my life. I don't want another trophy. I've got plenty of those in my garage. 
I don't need another attaboy. I don't need the recognition. I don't need to be famous. I don't need the money. I need to survive. I need enough money to survive. But other than that, like, I just want my life to matter. I just want it to matter to me and the people that I love. And so how we do that, I mean, that that's very grand, right? Like, that's like, especially if you're sitting in a cube going, I hate my life and I don't know what to do with it. Like, just pick one thing that you're curious about. And then if it's fun, keep doing it. And if it's not, find something else you're curious about. Just keep learning. Everyone keeps asking. I love this so much because everyone's like, what does E2T mean? And I was like, it means explore, experience, thrive. Because I love it. I think this world is about, it's not about your accomplishments. It's not, about, because accomplishments come and go, you know? It's like, you know, yes, I checked that off the box and I did this and I did this. And then you're... But, you know, with figure skating, I always say, I'm so grateful I didn't start as a kid. I have a lot of talent in it. I have a lot of athletic ability. I definitely would not have had the body type that they would have wanted or allowed, you know. And yet, you know, I was skating with Nancy Kerrigan because she comes to my rink all the time. Nice. Yeah, she's such a sweetheart. And she's like, I have to remember that this is fun. <laughs> And she's so talented, but she grew up under that. All the pressure. And, and pressure. And, and she's such a beautiful skater. And when she lets loose, and then I'll see other people that didn't make it as far as her. And they come back and they beat on themselves because they can't do what they once did. And for me, I'm like, hey, anything I can do, I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> I did my little jump. Yeah. Like, it's good. So I've fallen a thousand times, still haven't landed it. Oh, well, I'm still trying it. You know, and so. Trying. It's the key word is trying there. That's, you're trying it. Exploring it, having that experience. And that's what makes me thrive. And as soon as I put all this pressure, and I do, I work towards competitions. So you can be a coach. You can be that person that wants to achieve more. But you have to come back to the moments of loving it. And one of the right. things I really want to touch on, too, that you brought up is being 40 and being like, oh, do people do ballet? For anyone <laughs> listening that has ever said, I'm too old for this. Well, first of all, oh. one of the biggest beliefs is you need to break up with age. Like it's stupid. Someone made up a calendar, like let's just throw it out the window. And yes, there are 40 year olds, 50 year olds, 60 year olds, 70 year olds that take adult ballet classes, maybe even 90 year olds. I applied to be a river guide. I'm going to be 46 in April. I applied to be a river guide this summer because it just sounds like fun. Like, because I've done five river trips through the Grand Canyon and I love it. It's my favorite thing in the whole world to do. And other than stand up paddleboarding and I want to try it. I want to try it. I don't know if I'm going to last a season. I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And for those of you who want even more encouragement, my parents right at this exact moment, they're in their seventies. Uh, my mom, after the Lake Powell, uh, adventure we'll call it after the the lake powell thing in 2015 um, my mom decided that she wanted to hike the pacific crest trail and not not all at once but in segments and they've done over like 1500 like 1500 1800 miles they're out there right now right now hiking just doing it and you know because they love it because they want to do it so at 70 and they invited they invited one of their hiking buddies i don't know who they're hiking but they they hike every every day and they go out to um, one of the local parks here they invited one of their 83 year old friends to go hiking and so the 83 year old man is hiking the pacific crest trail right now 
Like, so if you're alive and you're breathing, I don't care what age you are, you have the opportunity to get up and learn something new, to try something new. Um, that's, for me, that's the meaning of life. It's, it is, it is trying new things and doing things throughout your entire life. Like, it's like, it's like you'd be running and like, you'd stop, you know, 15 yards short of the finish line, like by giving up, right? Like, I don't care how old you are, you just do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're not alone in it, like you just described. And so I think a lot of people feel alone in it. And the great thing about the internet is that, and the great thing about getting into communities, you know, you're going to end up finding your tribe. And, you know, right. in my whitewater paddling community, I have people as young as 18 and as old, I don't know, they won't actually tell me, so I'm not going to put an age on it, but they just call themselves the old bogeys. And, you know, they're teaching me so much because they've been on the river for so long. And, right. you know, it just does not matter in it. And so, like, going back over what we covered, you get to choose the life that you want to lead. Oftentimes, when we think life is kicking us the worst, it is opening up doors, as in your case. Believe that the best is waiting for you, not the worst. I love that. I think that's where uh, we will end this. And But tell me about your books. And um, because, and you all, I'm going to have the links to her photography and wonderful things that you're doing with women, with photography and writing. And you're just like a powerhouse and getting these women <laughs> to like, go for it. In life. I love it. Yeah, so I, um, I lead photography workshops, both co-ed and all women's, and my all women's groups, it, it's called Sheography, um, and so it's, it's about bringing women into the outdoors uh, through photography, for the love of photography, but just pretty much trying to get women comfortable in the outdoors, um, staying safe if they decide to travel on their own, but also building a community for, for women who don't want to travel alone or don't feel like they're confident enough in that yet, that they, they find other like-minded women who want to travel and who want to experience the outdoors. So that's at sheography.com. Um, everything that I do is to help people get outside. So whether it's workshops or books, I have a couple of guidebooks that you can look up on analemmapress.com, which is my publishing company. I got bored one April and started a publishing company. Um, <laughs> like, because why not, right? Um, so um, it just sounded like a fun thing to do and it is tremendously fun. So, um, but I've written a, a number of uh, guidebooks, Wild in Arizona, Photographing Arizona Wildflowers, which is very niche. We bloom here from February to September, so lots of opportunities in the desert and uh, at high elevations to photograph flowers. I also wrote a guidebook called Photographing Acadia National Park. That first edition has sold out. There might be a couple of uh, books left on Amazon, but I'm right smack in the middle of trying to get my second edition out. I'm very, very excited about that. Um, I'm working on going with the flow memoir, which is uh, about my life left-hand turn and how um, I overcame perfection and, and found, you know, over overachievement, you know, led to misery, but, you know, two back-to-back -back failures uh, led to, led to contentment and fulfillment. So that, that should come out. I've got to, I got to keep working on that. So <laughs> I, I love it. And so you definitely live life to the max. <laughs> Which, why not right why, why not, not? <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show thank you marcy you can definitely please um to our listeners and people listening to youtube 
share this, like this. Let's get more women in the outdoors. Let's get more women in the correct gear for the outdoors. And let's just keep sharing that we don't sharing stories. Be this force, be perfection, listen to the voices in our own head and that of society. And we don't have to be stopped by fear because there's a huge tribe of women that are there. And like you said, why not? This is one <laughs> life, one body, one <laughs> Go out and have an adventure. You get one chance through this life. Like you might as well make it count. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Marcy. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of E2T Adventures. Please go to our website, www.e2tadventures.com, and join the movement to make the outdoors more comfortable, safe, and enjoyable for all who identify as female. And remember, you have one life, one body, one playground earth. Go have an adventure.